Well, I'm afraid maybe I had a little too much vacation because I got here this morning and realized that I had left the little bag with my contact lenses and its solution on the kitchen counter at home. So I'm wearing glasses and I only hope that I can read this morning. So we'll see how this goes. Uh, but before I read, I, I just want to say a few things about what I'm going to be talking about. Um, what we're going to hear this morning from the scripture comes to us from the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Rome. We're going to be listening to part of the fifth chapter today. Now, if you happen to be here on my first Sunday standing in this pulpit, on that day I preached from the very last chapter of that book. And that was where Paul was greeting all of the Christians in Rome that he was writing to. And on that day, we found out that those people were just a bunch of average, you might say, run-of-the-mill run people. They were not the movers and the shakers of the Roman world. They were seemingly unimportant people who were living in the middle of what was the most powerful city in the known world at that time? And they were living in the middle of a culture that was at one and the same time kind of becoming more and more powerful but more and more degraded with each passing year. So that's who they were. And today we're going to be listening from part of what Paul had to say to them and where he is talking about what is next for Christ's followers. So this is what he has to say to people who are just average people. And he's talking about what happens for Christ's followers after they have been justified. And that's one of those nice theological words that we throw around here in church. It means after a person has been made right with God. And we all love the fact that we've been made right with God, but then it's what's next and what's after that. So having said all of that, let us listen for the word of the Lord while I read these first five verses of Romans 5. Therefore, since we are justified, made right with God, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, it was a Thursday, and it was January the 15th, 2009. And again, we come to the 
ordinary or what seems ordinary. It seemed like an ordinary day there in New York City. And it seemed like an ordinary flight that was taking off from the LaGuardia Airport for really what was a rather short trip to Charlotte, North Carolina. But it became something far from ordinary. It became, in the matter of just a very few minutes, a remarkable event. It's something that you might often hear referred to, and I think quite aptly referred to, as Miracle on the Hudson. Two minutes after takeoff, as the jet plane was ascending, it ran into a flock of Canada geese. Now, obviously, that was bad news for the geese. But it could have been equally bad news for those who were on board the plane. Because one, one goose in a plane engine is problematic. An entire flock is disaster. And both of those jet engines were severely damaged. And the captain of that plane was a man named Chesley Sullenberger. That's a name for you, you don't forget it. His co-workers referred to him as Sully. And he had to figure out what it was he was going to do, and he had to figure it out quickly, because there just wasn't much time. The plane, by that point, was headed over the Bronx, which is a very densely populated part of New York City. Any airports in the area were too far away to reach. The New Jersey Turnpike wasn't too far away, but there were too many cars on there to even consider landing. So he decided that he would crash land on the Hudson River. And that is not an easy thing to do. Those really smart people who study aerodynamics have learned that if you catch the nose or one of the wings of your plane in the water, the whole thing is just going to turn over and over like a gymnast doing handsprings, and then it will break apart in the water. And then it will sink with everybody in it. So to figure out what he was going to do for this landing, and there were just a lot of components that Captain Sully and his co-pilot had to perform just right before that plane hit the water. But they did it. All 155 people on board survived. And actually, there were very few serious injuries. And really, when you hear this whole story, it's not surprising when you then hear that the captain walked the aisle of the plane a couple of times to make certain that everybody else was off before he exited the plane himself. And then once he was in a life raft with some of the rest of the passengers, he removed his shirt and he gave it to one of the passengers who was um, suffering in the cold because it was January, it was cold. You know, I hear a story like that, and, and, and we all hear it, and I think certainly all of us could agree that Captain Sullenberger was a man of character. Character. 
It's who he was. You know, and while it's not likely that any one of us here today will face the particular experience that he did, every one of us has our own moments when we are confronted with a reality that is uncomfortable or scary or unpleasant or maybe some of all of that all mixed in together. And the question for us at those moments when we're confronted with that kind of a reality is what is it that we're going to do? Although maybe there's an even better question that underlies the what are we going to do question. And that's the question of who is it that we are going to be? Who are we going to be? You know, I'm going to hop back to that Sunday in January and those people we thought about then and how we thought about how God does extraordinary work through ordinary people. But how does that happen? What makes it possible for God to do that? Well, I think the Apostle Paul gives us at least a hint about that in the scripture that we just heard where he talks about the development of character. Character. Dwight Moody was a famous preacher in the late 1800s, and he said, character is who you are in the dark. And somebody else had kind of the same idea when they described character as who you are when nobody is looking. And for those of us who call ourselves Christian, our character should be on the way to becoming like that of Jesus himself. But again, we get back to the question of how does that happen? How does an ordinary person develop a fine character? How do we become who it is that we would like to be? And how do we develop a character that is distinctively Christian? And how do we become who it is that God would have us be? Not just who we would like to be, but who God would have us to be. A while back I was listening to some speaker and he said something that reminded me of this whole miracle on the Hudson incident. And he said, at the moment of crisis, you will not rise to the occasion you will default to your training. And when you consider it, that's why Captain Sully was able, and I would say with God's help, of course, but why he was able to do what he did. 
He was able to do that because it was hours of flying and learning to be alert to everything that was going on around him. And it was also hours spent in some room with a flight simulator learning to make quick judgments in all sorts of situations. At the moment of crisis, you will not rise to the occasion you will default to your training. Now, in a sense, rising to the occasion is possible. I think we can all agree that Captain Sully certainly rose to the occasion that day. But it only happens if the training is consistent and effective so that the training becomes our default. Now, you and I are Christians, or at least we say we are. And if that is true, and I trust that it is, then what's imperative for each one of us to do is to develop Christian character so that it becomes our default. And it's imperative that we begin to develop Christian character both in ourselves and in the generations that are given to our care and keeping. And that's why I think this is a wonderful scripture for Father's Day. It isn't only to fathers, but it is certainly to fathers and all the rest of us. You know, when we baptize a child, we as a Christian family covenant with the parents in the nurturing of that child so that he or she may grow in Christ. And that means that even a person like me who has not had biological children, I still have a responsibility toward the children who are in my realm. And that baptismal covenant applies to every one of us. And this development of character is essential for all baptized believers of every age. It was essential for those folks back in Rome in Paul's day, and it's just as essential for you and me. And maybe it's time for me to put a little parenthesis in here that wasn't part of my planned message. But since we are in covenant to raise these children, let me put in a plug for helping with VBS and helping with Sunday school. It's important. And you don't have to pay extra for that, okay? You know, when I, when I think about these situations and, and think about uh, the formation of character, you know, I, I never want to come across as a fear monger. You know, and maybe I'm just showing my age now. I, I live in happy denial about my age, but the truth of it is it is what it is. But, you know, from my vantage point, it seems rather evident that our culture has changed considerably in recent years. 
And sometimes I look at what's happening and it seems like our culture is in a bit of decline. There are institutions that we always looked on as solid and they seem to be developing cracks and we wonder how long they're going to stand. And as our culture has all of these shifts and changes, what is our role as Christians? And how do we make a difference? You know, I love how the Apostle Paul encourages one of his other churches. This is in the letter to the Philippians. And, you know, they were part of the Roman world, so their culture was going down the tubes too. But what he said to them, and I think he says to us, he says, for them to become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. That's who we are to be. Shining like stars in the sky. But again, how do we get there? Well, in the scripture we just heard, the apostle tells us about a couple of things that lead us to the formation of Christian character. And he starts off in, in these verses talking about pressure. Now, in, in what I just read, this translation, it says suffering. And the word can mean that, but I don't know about you. Um, when I think of suffering, I usually tend to think of something, you know, really extreme over here that maybe happens to me occasionally or once or twice in my life, but to me, suffering is that. So I, I'm not so wild about the word suffering um, in this translation, but the Greek can also mean pressure. And I like that one very much because for me, while suffering may be now and again, Pressure is pretty much all the time. We who live in the 21st century world know about all sorts of pressures. We know about the pressures that are common to all. Pressures of time and pressures of decisions to be made and pressures of expectations, some of which we put on ourselves and some of which are put on us by other people. But they're pressures. There's financial pressures, and we might have health pressures. But for us as Christians, there is an even greater, and I would say much more dangerous pressure, and that is the pressure that we get conformed to the world's mold. And Paul warns about that specifically a bit later in this letter when he says to these same people, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. But that pressure on Christians is there. There's the pressure to choose greed over generosity and to choose pride over humility, pleasure over self-control, power or prestige instead of servanthood, 
Pressure to have some impressive image on social media, even when a person knows that they're hollow inside. There are pressures to compromise what we know to be good and right and true and beautiful. Pressures to do that even when we know that compromise means a loss of our own integrity and it, it might even take us to the point of being coming complicit in evil because, yes, even that can happen to Christians. So if you and I are not going to give in to the pressures of our culture, then we need to be attentive to our formation right now. You know, and I don't know the future, but looking at the way the world has gone in past centuries and, you know, cultures rise and fall in this and that, I think there's a chance that in the years ahead, Christians are going to have to make even more choices and perhaps more costly choices. Now, we don't need to be fearful. We can continually live in confidence and joy in the Lord and hope. That was part of our scripture reading this morning. But we need to be realistic. And if we're going to be realistic, I think we need to be... I'll, use, I'll mix my metaphors here, I guess. But we need to be strengthening our spiritual muscles... Or to use the example of um, Captain Sullenberger, we need to be spending time in the flight simulator and figuring out what we're going to do. I think Judeo-Christian values are increasingly under attack not only in our country but in Europe as well. And even in places where they aren't so much under attack, they are often considered quaint or out of touch. You know, and looking back, you know, I think that the church at large bears at least some of the responsibility for that because I think for quite a few decades now, there's been quite a bit of complacency and way too many Christians have been content to just stay in their own little salt shaker rather than being sprinkled out of it to be the salt of the world that Jesus has called us to be. I think that's at least part of the reason why we are where we are today. But there's absolutely no point in throwing stones at the past or the people who were there or to think that we would have done any better. Our call today is to assess where it is that we are in this moment of history and to meet our culture where it is. So even if we have some questions about where the Western world is going, we don't have to shake in our shoes. Even if we found ourselves living in a world where pressures on Christians are increasing. Because as the Apostle Paul says here, Pressure can have a positive effect because pressures develop in us endurance. Pressures lead to endurance and then endurance leads 
to character. Now you might hear the word endurance and you think, oh well that's just putting up with something until it's over. And that can be part of it. But just like the Greek word means more than just suffering and can mean pressure and this and that, the Greek word that we find endurance here is so much more. And what Paul is saying that that pressure means that we develop a spirit that actively overcomes and conquers the trials and tribulations of life. Let me say that again. We develop a spirit that actively overcomes and conquers the trials and tribulations of life. And that's a great phrase and a great thought And that means there's a whole lot more to endurance than just passively sitting by and hoping for the best. Now, I have to admit, I'm human. I'm very sympathetic to passively sitting by and hoping for the best. And sometimes that's just all that I want to do, too. Because actively overcoming and conquering sounds like hard work. And which one of us doesn't want to just have a calm and tranquil life? You know, about 40 years ago, there was a Christian thinker and kind of philosopher, Dr. Francis Schaeffer. And and he said at that point, 40 years ago, that America had two great values. And those values were personal peace and affluence. And I thought about that, and I thought, boy, I wish I could say that things had changed for the better since Dr. Schaefer said that. But I look around, and I'm not so sure I think that they have changed for the better. I think personal peace and affluence still have a pretty strong draw. So we have to realize the pressures are there, and they're not going away. So what are we going to do, and what are we going to teach and model for the children and the teenagers and the young adults who are part of our lives and part of our community here? Are we going to take the path of personal peace, the let's go along to get along idea that is prevalent in so many places and even in Christian circles? Or are we going to endure in a way that actively overcomes and conquers? Are we going to endure in a way that develops character in us and in those who come after us? Are we going to develop character that is built one brick at a time, day by day, decision after decision, and choice after choice after choice? And yes, the cost may seem great at times. It can be. A couple of weeks ago, our country marked the anniversary of D-Day, when a bunch of young men braved incredible odds, and they did that at a very great cost, to conquer the enemy. And for all of us here, whether we're grandparents or parents or younger people who still have most of life ahead of you, 
I think every day, really, we face a spiritual D-Day. You know, the men and women of that generation 80 years ago have been called sometimes the greatest generation, and I think rather understandably. But what I'm saying to all of us here today is that this generation, all of us here today, can be the greatest generation of Christian men and women if we so choose. It's up to each person. And you might gulp, but there's good news. There's always good news. Because what I'm talking about here today is not something that's impossible. It's possible for each one of us, you and me, here and now. You know, a few weeks ago, (coughs) excuse me, we were reminded of a couple of things, and that is that, that we as Christians have the best of all worlds. We have on earth as it is in heaven. We remembered on Ascension Day our living Lord who is ascended to the presence of the Father, who is pleading our case, who is cheering us on. And then we had Pentecost Sunday when we were reminded that the Holy Spirit is with us here and now in all places and all situations of our lives. I often say that the essence of Christianity is a transformed life. And it's only when individual lives are transformed that culture begins to be transformed. And that's what happened back there in Rome, back in the first century. It took a while, but ultimately culture was transformed. God did it then, and God is able to do it again through us if we, like them, allow the pressures of life to create in us a godly character. Each of us has a part to play. And yes, I think sometimes on a spiritual level, it looks to us like D-Day. And there may be times when we look around and our world seems like a jet plane that has flown into a flock of Canada geese. And we have to be ready for those moments. It was hours of experience and preparation that allowed Captain Sully to make the wise and the life-giving choices that led to a miracle on the Hudson River rather than unspeakable tragedy. Remember, at the moment of crisis, you will not rise to the occasion. You will default to your training. So I guess my question for all of us, what is it that each one of us is doing to strengthen our spiritual understanding, to develop our Christ-like character, to become daily more like Jesus, our Redeemer. If you haven't been in training, it's never too late to start.
May each of us do that. May we prepare ourselves so that when the crunch times come, that what happens is truly a miracle. Thanks be to God.